0: You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 46 Becoming an Ageless Vegan with Tracy and Mary McWhorter. I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green,
1: and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories,
2: and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Rock, Ali.
0: I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, food for life cooking instructor, health and wellness coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. You can find more of my work, including health and wellness videos, at Veggie Fit Kids on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday. I hope that you're having a fabulous day. Today, I bring to you a fabulous episode with two beautiful lovely ladies that was just such a pleasure to talk to them Tracy and Mary McQuarter but before i tell you more about them i'd like to remind you to please rate and review my podcast that is very helpful to me, helps other people find my podcast, gives it higher ranking, so I would greatly appreciate it. Also share it if you know somebody that would benefit from also hearing this or other episodes. And check me out online, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Veggie Fit Kids is what you wanna look for. You can also check out my website, veggiefitkids.com. Sign up for my newsletter. That way you never miss any news or events or anything that is going on on my side of things. So thank you so much for being here. But let me tell you more about Tracy and Mary. So Tracy McCorder and her mother, Mary McCorder, celebrate their three decades as vegans with good health and vibrancy. They are often mistaken for being 15 or 20 years younger than their actual ages. So Tracy is 50 and her mother is 80. So actually 52 and 80 is what we discussed in the interview. They attribute their lack of pain and chronic disease to their plant-based diet of colorful whole foods. In their book, Ageless Vegan The Secret to Living a Long and Healthy Plant Based Life, they share best practices for jumpstarting a vegan lifestyle and maintaining it long term. This book actually features a hundred vegan recipes. They look amazing and delicious. It's a beautiful book to look at, so I definitely recommend that you grab your copy. Tracy McQuarter, MPH, was named a National Food Hero, Changing the Way America Eats for Better by Vegetarian Times. She directed the nation's first federally funded vegan nutrition program. And as an adjunct professor at the University of the District of Columbia, Tracy designed a plant-based nutrition curriculum for D.C. public schools. She recently created the African-American Vegan Starter Guide in partnership with Farm Sanctuary and she is the author of by any greens necessary. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Essence and Bon Appétit. For more information, you can find her at byanygreensnecessary.com and at byanygreens. I know you'll just love this episode, I hope that you find some parts funny and I hope that you find some of the parts really serious and really important information for you to take home with you. Please enjoy and I will see you again on the next episode. When it's time,
1: something you should try. It's crunchy, green and yummy and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on
2: calories and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli
0: Well, I have the great privilege of having Tracy and Mary McWhorter on Veggie Doctor Radio today. This is such an honor. Both of you, beautiful ladies, have been vegan for over three decades. That is just amazing.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having
0: us. And I recently read... Your amazing, beautiful book, by the way, it's just lots of beautiful pictures and color in it, Ageless Vegan. I love that title too, because how many of us, especially women, want to have that beautiful ageless look? Tracy, you've been vegan for over 30 years, but your diet has evolved over time. So, Can you tell me a little bit about how your diet evolved and how you ended up becoming a vegan?
1: Sure. So, um, my mother was was health conscious with us growing up. We were omnivores, but I think we ate healthier than most. And and mom, I'm sure will when she um, you ask her this question, she'll tell you how that came to be. But for us, it was basically um, you know being raised with eating meat and dairy, but also no cookie jar, no sodas no, um, you know, candy, whole wheat bread, skim milk, and no sugary cereals. So, you know, we were kind of, we were kind of health conscious and I didn't like it. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, when I, uh, got to college, so we had cousins and friends and then there was school, you know, where I could eat all the junk I wanted. So, um, that's what I did. And, um, when I got to college, I went to Amherst College And uh, my first year, I gained 25 pounds because I was away from home and I could eat whatever I wanted. And, you know, I didn't eat anything healthy. I just ate things that were salty and fatty and creamy and sugary. And um, so my sophomore year in 1986, our Black Student Union brought Dick Gregory to campus to talk about the political, economic, social state of of Black America, and um, you know, we knew him as a civil rights icon, and um, but he had been vegetarian at that point for 20 years because of his involvement in the civil rights movement that he extended the, uh, to animals. So he was going around talking about vegetarianism, especially to colleges. We didn't know that. So he flipped the script on us and decided to talk about um, how unhealthfully Black folks eat and why. And he put it in the context of politics and economics and culture um, and um, the food system and all of that and, and trace the path of a hamburger through the slaughterhouse process and all of that. So that blew my mind because I had never heard anything like that before. And I was going through a paradigm shift at the time myself um, in terms of taking political science and women's studies courses and um, African-American and women's studies courses. So I was learning about racism and sexism and imperialism and, you know, all of these isms. And so I was open to hearing what um, society, that, that what society dictated we should eat should be questioned also. Um, and so um, that's, what ha- that's, that's what started it. So my mom planted the seed. I was, I, I was familiar with the concept of healthy eating. Um already so you know, but just hearing it from him at that moment in time for me was magic.
0: So once you heard that lecture and you <laughs> got inspired, mm-hmm. was it like flip the switch and you went vegetarian or did it take some time? Yeah, for a week I did it.
1: <laughs> I went vegetarian for a week and then I was like, Dick Gregory is crazy, There's nobody. <laughs> Is vegetarian. Nobody gives up meat. I couldn't do it. Uh, after you know, after a week, I went back to eating my hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza. But I couldn't get what he said out of my mind. So I went home for the summer a few months later and um, to D.C. and just decided to get all of the books that I could find in the library. You know, this is ten years before the internet. So, um, but I had called my mother and one of my sisters, who was Maria, who was a senior at Tufts right after the lecture and told them, you know, I think I should be a vegetarian. And so when I came home for the summer, my sister was home for the summer, um, we three started reading these books together and, you know, just to find out if what he was saying was true. And so by the end of the summer, we decided to go vegetarian, but it would take me, I took my junior year abroad. um, So I was in Kenya the first semester and then Howard the second semester. And I couldn't be vegetarian in Kenya because they weren't prepared for me. Um, but at Howard, when I was home, you know we, we lived a walking distance to Howard and there was a large black vegan and vegetarian community that was right near Howard um, that you know we knew nothing about. And so we immersed ourselves in this community and learned and, and a lot of these folks have been influenced by Dick Gregory, have been doing it since at least the 60s um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and You know, they had the first 100% vegan restaurants, cafes, carryouts, health food stores in D.C. uh, in the nation's capital, and they were all Black-owned and all in low-income neighborhoods. And there were 12 of them. So, you know, we we learned from them how and why to do it. Wow. That is so fascinating, just hearing this whole different
0: angle and perspective on the history of veganism you know i there's Mm -hmm. stuff that i didn't even know so mary tell me whenever tracy called and first told you you know i think i'm going to go vegetarian i heard this lecture this is what i think what were your first impressions
2: well by that time i had already given up processed food pork uh beef uh i don't know what chicken not not, not uh, not chicken yet But how I started, when I first got pregnant, when I got pregnant with my first child, I wanted to raise healthy children. So I started reading uh, more about healthy food. Although growing up on a farm in South Carolina, we always had fruits and vegetables because we grew our own. So I was already eating a lot of fruit and vegetables, but uh, still eating meat. So I read Dr. Spock's book and some other books on, on uh, raising healthy children. That's why they end up not having the <laughs> sugary foods that, <laughs> that, that uh, other people were eating. So, um, but the reason I gave up the processed foods and then the pork was that I was doing my research and reading, I uh, found out that uh, processed food would make Uh, Linked to the risk of uh, cancer. And then, um, oh, I guess I was around 47 when my brother, one of my brothers, died of a heart attack in in his early 50s, and also uh, three or four cousins, they were also in the early 50s. And also reading, I found out that red meat was linked to heart disease, so I gave that up. So when Tracy came home, uh, talking about vegetarianism, I wasn't really interested at the time. But then the more we talked about it, and uh, during that time, I found out uh, I was looking at a program on PBS, and they were talking about how they process chicken. So uh, I had chicken in my refrigerator, so I threw that out. And, uh, but I was still eating. I was still eating fish at the time, and with uh the research on fish and how fish was raised in polluted water so i gave that up and um, so i'm still eating dairy mostly cheese and when i went to my doctor for my annual physical and i told him i was vegetarian and he said and still eating cheese so he said that uh, if i was going to be a vegetarian then i should have given up um, Cheese first because it had more concentrated fat and cholesterol than other meats. So it took me about a year and I finally gave up the cheese and I became a vegan.
0: Wow. So you really (laughs) did. You you took it step by step. But (laughs) I I love what a great influence you were on your children because you really were ahead of your time. Because during that time, it was kind of like the advent of processed foods, microwave dinners, frozen burritos. I mean, that was kind of like the advent of convenience foods.
1: That's true.
0: You, you chose to do the opposite. So you were kind of going against the grain there, Mary. And and what I understand, Tracy, you said that you didn't like it. You actually grew up not liking vegetables. Is that right? Hating them, in <laughs>
2: fact. <laughs> <laughs> she, would, she would sit at the table <laughs> and just sit there so finally I would put my foot down say, you eat these vegetables <laughs> oh my goodness and that would go all night night. tonight <laughs> yep. I mean
0: yeah, if someone would have told you while you were sitting there at the table as a kid trying to choke down your vegetables that you would once be the author of two books about <laughs> eating just plants what would you have said to them?
1: Uh, no way. There, there was absolutely no way. No way. Yeah, I mean, no way. Um, I never expected to be to be vegetarian and then vegan and then to make this my profession. Never. Mm-mm. And and uh in seventh grade, um I had two uh, I went to Sidwell Friends School here in DC for most of my life, and in seventh grade I had two teachers who were vegetarian and they wanted our class camping trip to be vegetarian. And I wrote a petition against it because I thought it was unfair. <laughs> so not only did I hate vegetables, but I was an activist against vegetables. <laughs> this, this is like
0: the irony of life, isn't it? I mean, you never know what's gonna happen you know. in life. I I love that story. I'm never gonna forget it. <laughs> so, so take me back to you went to college and you gained the freshman 25, it sounds like, yes. like the freshman 15. Yep. Whenever you were, whenever you finally transitioned to a vegan diet, mm-hmm.
1: were you able to get back down to your ideal weight or was that still difficult for you? Yeah, I actually was able to get down to my ideal weight. And it was, um, I mean, it was, I was never, um, you know, it was noticeable, but I was always thin, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, my mom noticed it, but just looking at me, you wouldn't have thought, you know, that, that there was a, a real concern there. Um, so it, I just, just was eating healthy plant-based foods, you know, and, and cooking from scratch. And, um, you know, there weren't a lot of processed vegan foods available at the time. So, it was healthier to be a vegan back then, even though it's more convenient and easier now. So the, the weight just um, eventually fell off. So I, I didn't diet. I wasn't trying to, you know, it just kind of, it just happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to point out that you made that decision to change your diet at a very critical point in your life. And it changed the, traje- the trajectory of your life mm-hmm. because it would have continued on the path that you were going mm-hmm. at 25 would have turned into 30, 35, yep. 40, 50, who knows where you would be now. So it's easy to say, yeah, I've always been thin. I've always been lean, but if you wouldn't have changed your diet and mm-hmm. obtained the new habit of eating this way, it, your life would have looked different now. Absolutely. You know, just
1: I just the way it would have gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I often say that that was an intervention, you know, that Dick Gregory, gave and luckily um, I didn't know what he was gonna talk about because I'm, I may have been able to tune him out instead of him catching me off guard or, you know. So yes, it was definitely an intervention and the way that I was going, I may have very well ended up having that heart attack that he traced, you know, from the hamburger from the from the factory farm cow. Um, for sure, like most black women, right? Leading to overweight, to um, Possibly um, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol—all of the things that most people in this country get, and um, you know, black folks in particular, and also the added stress of living in you know a society, a systemic white supremacy that also that also causes oxidative stress. So, on, you know, in addition, so it's not just the food with us. You know, having to deal with the system, but it's also the stress of that that exacerbates these chronic disease conditions. So yes, all of that milieu. What I would have been probably um, one of you know one of one of the um, the women experiencing that. And so um, you know, I'm grateful that that happened, and I'm also cognizant of how. It can happen, you know, how easily it can happen to folks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, I want to ask a kind of a strange question because both of you just are beautiful and vibrant and very youthful in your appearance. And you've written the book Ageless Vegan, which <laughs> goes well. But do you ever get people that say, well, no, I mean, it's not the diet, this has to be all genetics regardless of what you eat, you probably would still look like this. Do you ever get people saying things like that?
2: Yes, you want to take that one? (laughs) Well, I get people told me that I don't look my age, you know, all the time, but my skin looks good. Um, But they don't, then I tell them I'm a vegan. (laughs) And, And they say, no wonder. That's what they say. Cause they real they all most people are familiar with vegan diet, so they know that the it's best diet for you. They just haven't transitioned to it. And, so, mm-hmm. so I don't think it's surprising to them that, that, yeah.
1: And I think and I think too, um that you know, my my mom started when she was fifty, so it's different. You know, I think there's a maturity in her, you know, with her friends and um, the folks at her senior center that they have just a maturity and experience of living life that, uh, you know, they can see the difference, you know, from from, you know, they knew or a relative. They, you know, from 50 to 80 or just she's 82 and she's doing exercise classes, Pilates and yoga and weight training um, uh, and all of that. Five to six days a week, twice a day, and women who are twenty years younger can't keep up. That has to be something, right? Um, so, I, you know, they are looking for what that is, and I think for me, it may be a little different because, um, you know, people don't don't really know how old I am, right? And so they and I'm and bec- I'm uh, I will be fifty two ne- next month, but doing it from twenty to fifty. We're all looking kind of similar, you know, between that age. So I think it's just now in my 50s that that my peers might start to see a difference, right? Or maybe in my 40s. Definitely folks who don't know me think that I'm younger, right? And they uh, compliment my skin. And I grew up with pimples. You know, I had oily skin, pimply skin for throughout my uh, teenage years and into college. And it wasn't until... Um, I went vegan and actually did a raw cleanse that my skin cleared up and started to glow from the inside out. So, um, yeah, so I think probably for me, more likely people are, people will attribute it to um, something other than nutrition at this age, because they assume that I'm younger, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as a public health nutritionist, I mean, this is what my degree is in. I, you know, I'm quick to tell them, no, it's this, you know,
0: it's nutrition. That's, that's awesome. And I love hearing that Mary exercises twice a day, (laughs) five to six days a week. (laughs) That just inspires me and gives me so much hope for my future and that of all my friends. So tell me about in your book, you have the fab five food rules. Can you tell me Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. And so um, with the Fab Five food rules, we just wanted to, to come up with something that was memorable and, and uh, you know, clever, catchy to tell people about what we eat every day and the, you know, and why we eat what we eat. So the Fab Five food rules um, are that, you know, we eat a healthy whole food plant-based diet and all of the 100 recipes are whole foods. So there's no processed There's no white flour, white rice, um, white pastas, no refined sugar. You know, it's whole foods It's the way that we eat. And so it's the first one is to, you know, eat these types of foods, beans, nuts, fresh fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And then um, there's health is in the hue. And that means that you want to eat food that is colorful. So you want your plate to have at least three colors on it at each meal, Uh, you know, maybe even more. So reds, blues, purples, yellows, oranges, Um, you want to have that. And these colors actually aren't just pretty, that they reflect powerful uh, compounds, powerful nutrients and disease fighting uh, compounds that can help you, you know, really it's the foods that are ageless you know, it's the foods that will help you, um, maintain your cognitive ability. It's the foods that will help maintain the elasticity in your skin, the smoothness, help decrease wrinkles. It's the foods that will help, will help you have an ageless life. And so the colorful foods are the ones that do that. So the darker, the berry thing is true. (laughs) And, um, then there's greens, uh, there's by any greens necessary, which is, you know, to eat more dark leafy greens as much as possible. We try to try to eat them three times a day, at least twice a day. Um, and that's kale, collard, spinach, mustard, dandelions, you know, all of the um, chard, all of the dark leafy greens um, that you have available to you, fresh is best, but if not uh, frozen, um, those are the healthiest foods on the planet. Those foods give you the most nutrition for your buck. Um, and then we eat small meals throughout the day. So one of the food rules is "food rules is small is all." Um, so instead of focusing on a big lunch, a big dinner, you know, maybe a big breakfast, we eat smaller meals throughout the day when we're hungry, um, and we try to make sure that we eat so that we're not skipping meals and then loading up, you know, at night. Um, and I think the last one is keep your balance. And so that just means having a well-balanced plate. So having grains and having beans and having vegetables and having fruit at each meal and cucumbers, anything with a seed is a fruit. So it could be cucumbers or tomatoes or squash or zucchini also. So um, that's the foundation of the, of the fab five food
0: rules. That's perfect. And that's such a good primer for nutrition and for decreasing our risk of chronic disease. I want to know a little bit more about The smaller meals throughout the day is that something that has evolved over time, and how did you figure that out for yourself? Because I know as a society we tend to overeat. Uh, Mm -hmm. Overeating is kind of socially acceptable and promoted Mm -hmm. as a way of recreation, and it's just like you know a fun thing to do. So how were you able to learn that habit of eating smaller, eating until you're satisfied, not overeating for and Either of you or both of you can answer this.
2: Well, I think mine started when uh, I'd go to a senior center for exercises. And exercise starts like 8 o'clock in the morning, my first class. So I would drink a smoothie uh, before going. And by the time I finished with the hour, hour and a half, I was hungry. So then I would eat maybe oatmeal, nuts. Like that, and then lunchtime. You know, it, because of eating uh, nuts and vegetables, is digest quicker, so you get hungry quicker. So, therefore, it's I think it's automatic that you would start eating uh, maybe every couple of hours, and that's how it's got started with me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: and I yeah. think this. Yeah, and I think the same. I mean, we you know. The, our schooling and then, you know, going to work, we, we have uh, breakfast time and then we have a break for lunch and then we have, you know, after school or after work, right, for dinner. And so the societal routine has dictated how we eat as opposed to what our bodies want. So, in, so um, it's just a matter of listening to your body. You know, when you're hungry, uh, you should be able to eat. And when you're not hungry, don't eat, right? And so, um, you know, but I'm not 100%. If I'm watching a movie at night, I might grab a bag of popcorn, you know what I mean? And just snack or, and a lot of times when there's a transition from one thing to the other, um, there may, you know, people ease that transition through eating, right? Or there may be a stressful situation. So there. Um, or, or you're at a cocktail party, some social event, you don't like to network, you're going to keep going to the table to eat. So there are lots of reasons why we may not be listening to our bodies and you just do the best that you can. But typically when you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, as mom said, um, if you're eating healthier food, it's not sitting in your stomach for hours. You're not, you're not bloated, um, you're not stuffed. So your body is digesting it. And in a couple of hours, you want to eat something else. And it, I believe
0: that it is one of those things that we've unlearned over time is mm-hmm. to when we're hungry, stop when we're satisfied. So to some people, it seems like this novel sort of extreme idea, <laughs> but I think overall for our digestive system and our bodies and our brains, it is better to not stuff yourself, not, yeah. you know, um, overdo it when it comes to eating. So I love that. I love your fab five food <laughs> So Thank another you. thing that you emphasize in your book is water intake and how important mm. this is. This is a really big part of your routine, you talk about it a lot in your book. So tell me more about water and the importance of it.
1: Well, you know, it it is the that the adage of drinking eight water, eight cups of water a day is is based on um you know, people who eat or who ate a standard American diet, right, um, you know, who were who were omnivores, And so um, water was needed because, you know, we were dehydrated. We were eating um, high-fat, high-salt processed foods, right? And so we needed – and, and, and uh, animal foods have no fiber. So we needed water to help try to flush that out of our system. So that's kind of you know that's kind of based on omnivores that eight specific glasses of water a day right now um, for people who eat a healthy plant-based diet where you're eating lots of fresh fruits and vegetables um, those foods are watery already right if you're eating them fresh they they have high contents of water so you are getting nourishment from water from your foods. and in addition to that. You can drink when you, you know you can you can drink four to six cups of water separately, right? And a lot of times, if you're feeling fatigued during the day, it can be just because you haven't had water or you haven't had something watery to eat. So um, it is very important, but it's not necessarily that we need to get these separate eight cups of water, you know, um, because if our foods are water water uh, water rich, then we're also we're getting them throughout the day.
0: And yeah, definitely a whole food plant based diet is very hydrating. Yeah. And I would like to also make the link between hydration and skin health. Absolutely. Because even a little bit of dehydration will lead to dullness in the skin. And like you said, brain fatigue, mood changes, those mm-hmm. kinds of
1: things. So Absolutely.
0: Obviously, eating lots of fruits and vegetables, but also where I live, it's really dry. I know DC, it's a lot more humid. I live in a high desert. So here it really ah. isn't. Make yeah. sure that we get even yeah. extra water because everything gets like sucked out. So oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mary, I'd love to know what your favorite go-to meal is.
2: My favorite go-to meal. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, Do you mean
1: in the book or just period?
0: In general.
2: In general. Either, either or both. Okay. Okay. Generally, uh, my favorite may, probably is a stir fry. And it's usually maybe tofu with uh, carrots, um, uh, broccoli, uh, red peppers, onions, garlic uh, with a little olive oil uh, and just put it in the pan and stir it. <laughs> it's quick and easy. Yeah. What do you uh, have it with? Oh, quinoa, almost. yeah, quinoa.
0: Yum, mm-hmm. that sounds good. Yeah, very mm-hmm. simple, but just satisfying to the eyes as well as the palate, right? I mean, just beautiful to look at as well.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: How about you, Tracy? What's your favorite?
1: Um, I would probably say a wrap um, or a burrito. I love to have things in a wrap. So even if I'm making, uh, like I I usually make some kind of big, dark leafy green salad every day, Um, but I like tortillas and, uh, you know, corn tortillas, whole grain tortillas, um, and so I, I'll put that I'll put the salad in the wrap and then I'll add something like, um, you know, other uh, tomatoes, avocado. I might add some chickpeas or some black beans. I might add some black rice to it. But I like to, to do that. Maybe put a little hummus on it first, um, some hot sauce or some hot pepper and uh, some olives and just roll it up cut it and eat it that way I love I love to eat it as a wrap <laughs> <laughs> um, my mouth is watering
0: that just sounds so delicious it's, it's lunchtime over here so that's probably one of the reasons <laughs> okay well I'd like to change um, switch gears here a little bit and talk a little bit about people of color in the vegan movement and this link between oppression and our food industry this is something that we rarely talk about but I had said before, it's, it's fascinating and it's relevant and important. So can you educate us a little bit on the basics and why we need to understand these concepts?
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, food is, um, economic and, um, political, you know, just like, just like shelter is right. Just like, um, our need for, um, sanctuary, our need for a nice home, our need for education, our need for a community, like all of that, all of these basic needs that we have, food is included in that. And this society uh, is set up so that people who are affluent have ready access to those things and people who are not do not. And so food is a part of that, right? So where you live and how much money you have determines how healthy your food choices are and determines what information you get, whether or not you are specifically targeted for unhealthy processed food, for fast food. Um, and so that, you know, that's a, that's a societal issue. People think that they eat just because it tastes good, right? Just because they like something, but our likes are, are, um, determined not just by what our, what our, uh, family fed us, but also by advertising, right? We think that we're too smart to be susceptible to the advertising. Food advertising is the biggest industry in the country. It's the number one reason we eat what we eat. Um, and you know, people think vegans are the food police, but it's the food industry, right? That is That is dictating what's available and what's not and where it will be available. And it's the food industry that decides what the school breakfast lunch program will look like. The USDA, um, along with the food industry, determine that every child must have a carton of milk on their tray at school breakfast, unless they have a doctor's note, right? Um, this is to provide a market for dairy, even though most people of color, like most people in this country and around the world, stop producing the enzyme to nurse, so you know, this term, this concept of lactose intolerance is wrong. It's lactase persistent. We stop producing that enzyme because we don't need to weed anymore. But yet the USDA says that everyone should have dairy every day. That's for the food industry. So um, there's politics around why we eat what we eat, what we're served in schools, what we're served in, in um, all types of institutions um, and what's available in our communities. And so that's number one, you know, that I've been, I teach people how and why, and I've been doing this for almost the 30 years that I've been vegan. Um, And I, and I put it into this context because I want people to understand that just like everything else, food is, has a context to it. Right. And once people understand this, once they get it, then they immediately want to make a change. You know, they see, wow, right. That makes sense. The medical industry is about disease, not about prevention, right? The food industry is about profit, not healthy people. So they get it. Um, And, uh, you know, this is the way that I learned it. This is the way that Dick Gregory talked about it. This is the way that he learned it, um, uh, you know, and and talked about it all those years. And so it's just, it's always, it's just natural for me to have this conversation. It's never just about whether or not I like chicken, you know what I mean? So um, uh, to add to that, the last point, and if there's so much you know, to cover in this topic, but the last thing I want to say is, and just specifically for Black folks also, is that we have the most to gain from the health benefits of eating plant-based foods, because we, ha- we, we get and die earliest from chronic diseases, not just from the unhealthy food, but from the stresses of living under white supremacy, right, that takes a toll on us physically. Um, So we have, um, you know, these 21st century lynchings that I call them, that other people are calling them a police officer shooting black folks, right? And getting away with it. And we have a black lives movement that's become national and global around it. And it's estimated that police kill um, a thousand plus people every year. Um, 300 plus of those are black folks. But the CDC estimates that 300,000 Black people die every year, predominantly from food-related chronic diseases, right? So heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, stroke, certain cancers. So that's 300 and 300,000 every year. We are out in the streets for this 300, but we're not out in the streets for this 300,000. And that's because... We are denied this information. And I think for me, they're both crises. They're both traumatic. They're both preventable. So it's not an either or. We need to be out here um, fixing both, organizing and resisting about both. That's just so well said. And,
0: you know, I think that until you start learning some of these things, you're right. I mean, whenever you were young before you heard that lecture, you weren't associating what you put in your mouth with this larger, larger scale, like this one choice influences Mm -hmm. so much. It influences the food system, how other people, the workers in that food system and the diseases and the chronic conditions that they get or their mistreatment in the food system, of Mm -hmm. course the animals, but then also our own personal health and how we can influence other people to live healthy lives as well. And like you're saying, you know, there's this huge problem. All these people are dying of preventable chronic diseases, and Mm -hmm. that is affecting some populations more heavily than others. And that's something that's important to pay attention to. When you start realizing that what you put in your mouth, the choice that you make of what Mm -hmm. you eat affects so much and has this huge ripple effect, you start... Mm -hmm. Thinking about it so much differently. It just, the weight of it is so much heavier than before, you know? Mm-hmm. So, right. Very, very fascinating and, and just much more, much deeper than a lot of people realize at the beginning of our lives when we're, you know, happy go lucky <laughs> eating our sugary cereals and whatever. So <laughs> um, that's right. Well, um, I want to ask Mary back to start talking about personal habits. What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it? And how do you maintain it?
2: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I guess along with uh, eating well, I guess the the next one is is developing uh, an exercise program. And it started... That started even before I became vegan. I love to walk and I've always walked. I used to walk two miles before going to work every day. And I kept that up during my 30 years (laughs) working for law firms. And then after that, I started, um, they opened a senior wellness center in my neighborhood and I started volunteering there. And they also had a gym where you could do different exercises. And also, along with that, I um, want to maintain uh, personal friendship. I think that's very important to have support, mm-hmm. uh, friendship support. Uh, when you, especially, you're going through some disaster or something, it's very good to have people that you can depend on. And I have a uh, friend that I've been friends with since college and lives in the neighborhood and I've lost a few friends lately, you know, and it's kind of hard, <laughs> but having the support, you know, other people help you have to get through it. And so I think the eating, the exercises and the um, support from your friends and family, I think those are the most important.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. It sounds just like your own little personal blue zone. I don't know if you guys have heard of the the blue zones work, but (laughs) (laughs) you are are living and breathing the blue zones, pretty much nutrition, your movement and making sure you have that emotional and social support. And that'll keep you going for a Years and years and years, so I'm happy to hear that. And, and how about you, Tracy? What personal habit are you most proud of?
1: Well, I, I'm so glad you asked that question because I love hearing that answer from my mom. I didn't know what that would be. So um, I think for me, definitely the, the family uh, and social support, but to say something uh, different than that as well, you know, and, and the food, um, I think would be journaling for me um journaling is is um is meditative like I, I do meditate i do do yoga every day um i have you know something i call this the sacred seven that i do which is um eat well exercise meditate yoga um have fun help others and laugh right i try to do those things um every day and of those things if i didn't say journal is journaling journaling is is in there um of those things, I think journaling is the most um, satisfying to me, uh, emotionally and creatively, because I've, I've writing is my first love, and I've always written. And I used to make books when I was a little girl, like physically make them, and you know, just I just love writing, and so it's very therapeutic to me, and. Um, You know, I have tended to be really critical, self-critical over the years, and had to learn, had to unlearn that. And uh, journaling has helped me do that. Um, And um, that's my, you know, that's that's my bliss. Just writing, just writing. Okay.
2: Yeah, I had forgot to mention. I I I I do uh, hand Mm quilting. Actually, I teach handbooking at my senior center, and that is very stressful. Oh, that's me. wonderful. Oh, that's
0: that's just great to hear, and uh, definitely mm-hmm. some good habits that other people, if they still feel like they need to adopt some
1: healthy habits, those are all great ones to do. And I thank you for asking that question, because I don't know that we've gotten that question before, but it's important for people, you know, your, your mental health, your emotional health, um, is very important. And it's, you know, it's not just about food. So thank you for that
0: question. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love asking that question because I always get answers that I don't expect mm-hmm. because it's also what people are most proud of. Like, you know, uh, one of my guests, her thing that she's most proud of is that she makes her bed every single morning. Mm-hmm. So and that's a good <laughs> way for her, to start her day. Right. And I think And you're right. You know, it is one of those things that each one of us has to be able to develop our own mental health and physical wellness plan Mm -hmm. that makes us feel good, but also that we're proud of so that we can continue it for a long
1: time. Right, right. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Well, ladies, this has been great. I would love to give you some time now to um, talk about how listeners can connect with you and what other services and products or other books that you want to talk about in this time.
1: Um, well, I'm, I'm the one who's on social media. So, <laughs> so um, uh, folks can reach me at byanygreensnecessary.com um, or at any greens. Um, either one of those, and um, let's see. We're on book tour, so I encourage folks to go to our um, events page on by dot slash events and see when we're coming out to a city near you, um, and to come out and see us. We, we're fortunate to be funded by a well fed world, and they've been they're sending us out through November. So um, we love being able to have conversations with folks um, in person. And um, I don't know, writing a cookbook is hard, coming up with a hundred recipes. So I don't know what's next (laughs) in terms of a book. We'll see. Let's
0: give you a little time. I'm sure you'll cook one up.
2: They're
1: going to keep coming, I'm
0: sure. Well, ladies, thank you so much. This has been lovely. I'm so grateful for both of you and for writing this book and sharing the knowledge and educating us and making us aware of what's not only healthy for us, but healthy for the world around us.
1: Thank you so much for having us. All
0: right. Well, I hope that you both have a plantastic day. Thank Thank you. you
1: something you should try. It's crunchy, green and yummy and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories and it looks
0: like mini- I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocket surgeons music. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at VeggieFitKids on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or you can email me at veggie doctor at veggie fit Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day.